Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Rhodes talks about Holy Week, especially Holy Thursday, when we remember Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Hear how we're all called to honor the goodness in one another. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. It is Holy Week. So a, do we say Happy Holy Week or Blessed Holy Week? I say Blessed Holy Week okay. and Happy Easter. Yes, that sounds good. Yeah. It sounds good. Uh, we're, we're kind of in between Chrism Masses and Holy Thursday. So if you had to pick a favorite between those two, which would you pick? Chrism Mass or Holy Thursday? Wow. It's, I mean, they're both so, so beautiful. I, I think for me personally, the Chrism Mass to be able to have all the priests of the diocese kind of celebrating with me is is really uh, very, very beautiful. And last year, was that possible? No, we it was live streamed. We only had the vicars, so like right. six priests con celebrating, but then the other priests were watching and they were renewing their priestly promises from hmm. their rectories. Interesting. So it was great this year having... Uh, having the chrism mass in person and and of course it's a very unusual diocese i don't know of any other that has two chrism masses hmm. because we have the two cathedrals but um so yeah monday and tuesday evening i celebrated them at at st matthew's cathedral in south bend and the cathedral of the immaculate conception in fort wayne all right well maybe we can have you share a little bit about what you reflected during your homily for that coming up. But before we do, do you have a, a prayer to open us up with? Well, since this is the Wednesday of Holy Week, I think the prayer from Mass today would be appropriate. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who willed your Son to submit for our sake to the yoke of the cross, so that you might drive from us the power of the enemy, grant us your servants to attain the grace of the resurrection. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And Mary, our sorrowful mother, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop. Would you mind kind of sharing a little bit about your homily from the Chrism Mass this year? I'd be happy to. You know, um, I always think that at the Chrism Mass, we celebrate our Christian identity as well as priests celebrating their priestly identity. Because all of us, priests and laity, deacons, religious, are God's anointed ones. Because we're united to the anointed one. That's what the title Christ means, anointed one. And we're united to him by our baptism. So in my homily, I spoke about how we all share the title that Jesus assumed, the title Christ, when we profess our identity as Christians, anointed ones. And then we gather at a chrism mass, you know, in the name chrism, also comes from the word Christ. It refers to this mystery of anointing. And we've all, all of us who've been baptized and confirmed, we've been anointed with the sweet-smelling oil of chrism. And God has anointed us to his service 
at our baptism and at our confirmation. And, and he's given us a mission. So the anointing is for mission, basically to offer Christ to the world and to offer the world to Christ. Mm-hmm. So all of us who bear the name Christian are united to the one whom Isaiah prophesied to Jesus, who read Isaiah's words in the synagogue of Nazareth, which we hear in the gospel of the Christmas Mass, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So all of us, including lay people, all of us who have the name Christian, we have a priestly mission. The reading from the book of Revelation at the Chrism Mass, the second reading, says Jesus made us into a kingdom, priests for his God and Father. That refers to all Christians, not just the ordained. Now, in the church, Jesus has anointed some for a unique sharing in his priesthood through the sacrament of holy orders. That's ordained, the ordained. So, at the Chrism Mass, the priests renew their baptismal, I mean, their their priestly promises from ordination. So we really reaffirm our commitment to our mission of priestly service to the people of God and our commitment to holiness with renewed zeal for holiness. So I, I reflected in my homily also on the responsorial psalm. I always think of this with the chrism mass, Psalm 89, where God says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him, that my hand may always be with him, and that my arm may make him strong. God anointed the young David, making him king over Israel through the anointing with oil by the prophet Samuel. And with this anointing, The first book of Samuel tells us that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. So already in the Old Testament, you know, this is a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. We see this relationship between anointing with oil and anointing with the spirit. Hmm. So this was well established in the minds of the people. Now, Jesus was not anointed with oil. His anointing was not by human hands. The Father himself anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we were all anointed with chrism at our baptism and confirmation, and when priests' hands were anointed with chrism at ordination, it wasn't simply oil. And I was reading recently a quote from a 4th century saint, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, And he was teaching the newly baptized. And I shared a quote from St. Cyril of Jerusalem at the Chrism Mass homily. This is what he said to the newly baptized. Beware of thinking that this holy oil is simply ordinary oil and nothing else. After the invocation of the Spirit, it is no longer ordinary oil, but the gift of Christ And by the presence of his divinity, it becomes the instrument through which we receive the Holy Spirit. While symbolically, on our foreheads and senses, our bodies are anointed with this oil that we see, our souls are sanctified by the holy 
and life-giving spirit. Back to Psalm 89. God said that he anointed David so that his hand would always be with him and so that his arm would make him strong. One of the things that olive oil symbolizes is strength. You know, in ancient times, athletes who entered the arena for a wrestling match, like at the Olympic Games, they would anoint their bodies with oil so that it would be soft and supple and strong, not dried out. Think about that, the strength. Now, at the chrismas, one of the three oils that the bishop blesses is the oil of catechumens. The catechumens are anointed with this oil before baptism to prepare them to go into that arena, to prepare them for the contest of the Christian life. Because when you think about it, the Christian life is like a competition. It's like a battle. Yeah. And on the cross, Jesus fought the battle. He fought the dramatic battle. He fought the forces of hatred and evil. And he won with the power of his self-giving love. And that's the power that carries us in our Christian life. The power that gives us life and victory. It's the power that strengthens us in the arena of life. As early as the third century, St. Hippolytus wrote about the oil that was used to anoint the catechumens immediately before baptism. And that anointing was, and it still is, by the way, connected to a prayer of exorcism. The prayer and anointing show the need for God's help and strength to overcome the opposition of the devil so that the person may be able to profess the faith, come to baptism, and live as a child of God. Now, another thing I talk about in my homily is the oil of the sick. Olive oil was used in ancient times also for medicinal purposes. Now, we know that Today, olive oil is good for our health, okay? It's part of a healthy diet. But in ancient times, it also was the medicine with which strength, rest, and peace were restored to the body. I remember Pope Benedict once talking about how often in the Psalms we hear this joy about the delightful qualities of oil how it pours over the sunburned, weary, exhausted body and suddenly makes it experience again all the gladness and strength of life. So I blessed the oil of the sick at the Chrismas. It's God's medicine that priests as spiritual doctors use in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Mm -hmm. And this is a lot more than the hopes that ancient peoples placed in olive oil because it's the sign of God's true medicine. Pope Benedict said, for the entrance of Jesus Christ into the space of illness and suffering, the mediation of Christ who gives healing and peace to the sick and dying through the assurance that they're safe. They're safe in God's hands forever. Now, next, of course, third oil, final, is the chrism itself. 
and it's unique. It's not just olive oil. As you probably know, it's olive oil mixed with balsam, a special sign of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that happens in the chrism mass is the bishop breathes over the olive oil mixed with balsam before he says the prayer, which reminds us of the spirit breathing over the waters at creation and also Jesus breathing over the apostles that first Easter night, the risen Jesus, when he gave them the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive sins, the gospel says that he breathed on them. So this is interesting. The bishop breathes over that chrism as he consecrates it. And then it has that wonderful smell from the balsam, which, of course, recalls the words of St. Paul to the Corinthians. In every place, we are the aroma of Christ. Mm. So those who are anointed with the chrism, anointed in baptism and confirmation, and also anointed in priestly and episcopal ordination, are anointed for a mission to bring this fragrance of Christ to the world. And there's a lot of stench, bad odor in the world. There's despair, there's greed, there's hatred. All these powers that really corrupt and, and bring death. So through our lives, we are to bring the new power of Christ's life. And the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of true life, indestructible love, safety in the power of God's spirit. This disinfects the world. We're called to disinfect the world. Hmm. So I think it's good for us to reflect on our anointing with the chrism of salvation and for priests to reflect and bishops to reflect on our priestly anointing, this anointing by the Holy Spirit for mission. And notice sometimes in the scriptures, speaks of the oil as the oil of gladness. So we're anointed with the oil of gladness. We were anointed, uh, you know, like Jesus said, to bring good news to the poor, good news, the joy of the truth of the gospel, the joy which Pope Francis says touches people's hearts, the joy of God's mercy and love. Now, that that's not my whole homily, but... I'll stop there because I think, oh, just one last thing. <laughs> we cannot accomplish our mission without the strength that comes from God. When God anointed us, God promised us, like he promised King David, that his hand would be upon us and that his arm would make us strong. So we're weak without this strength from the Lord. And that's why we need to be people of prayer because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. If we're not connected to the vine, to Jesus, if we don't abide in him and in his love, our mission won't bear fruit. I think St. Paul knew this. With so much confidence, he said, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. He didn't say I can do all things in myself. Mm -hmm. He says, in him who strengthens me. So he had this, this gift of fortitude to be a faithful servant of God, to be an ambassador for Christ amid all the challenges and trials that he had up until martyrdom. And that's the kind of confidence we need. We need to believe in that anointing that we have received. 
And to be able to say with St. Paul, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. That's most of my homily, yeah. Kyle. So when you breathe on this oil, is it more of a blowing out the candles a kind of thing? Or is it more of a, I'm trying to check the smell of my breath, a kind of a breath? It's like blowing out candles, but okay. it would be a little longer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have asthma though, so it's not real long. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, encourage people, if if you've never been to a chrism mass or never streamed one online, it's neat to see the priests up there. It's neat to to see the oils being blessed and is that what we call them? blessed? It's or consecrated. What? The uh, oil of the sick and the oil of catechumens are blessed. Okay. But the chrism is consecrated. Okay. Very good. Yeah, so people can check that out if you just do a search for the chrism mass in your your diocese it'll pull that up, I'm sure. Uh, also tomorrow is the I guess we're kind of skipping over today, but today would be Spy Wednesday, some people would call yes. it. Yes. Any thoughts on on that before we skip to Holy Thursday? Well, you know, it's a day, I mean, Spy Wednesday, it's called Spy Wednesday because Judas spying on Jesus, and that's uh -huh. in the gospel. Yeah, so it's kind of um, kind of prepares us for what's coming. Okay, yeah. Judas's betrayal and and Jesus's arrest and the beginning of the passion. Are we supposed to see ourselves in Judas? I think a lot of times we think of, oh, how could Judas do that? But are we supposed to be able to see, like, yeah, we we do that. We betray Jesus at times. Yeah, yeah, we do, and we at times deny him like Peter did. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important that when we enter into the celebration of the Triduum and even Lent, that we recognize that that we're sinners, that uh, sometimes there's a little bit of Judas or a little bit of Peter in all of us, mm -hmm. but hopefully we won't end up like Judas. In other right. words, that we will open ourselves to God's mercy, that we'll be repentant and open ourselves to God's mercy and not despair. Judas despaired. But Peter didn't. Right. Peter cried and returned to the Lord. Well, any thoughts to prepare us for Holy Thursday? I love Holy Thursday, and the Paschal Triduum begins Holy Thursday evening, which is really the high point of the whole liturgical year. Mm -hmm. So I hope everyone will will really enter into the Sacred Triduum. Um, participating in the liturgies, if if possible. They're beautiful, beginning with the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday evening. The Triduum, of course, means three, so it continues into Good Friday and Holy Saturday, the Easter Vigil, and, and then Easter Sunday. So it's three days that are, are our holiest days of the year. Okay. And the two main things that always stand out to me about Holy Thursday are the institution of the Eucharist and the washing of the feet. Yeah, which are both very much connected. Both happened at the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting, we read about the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, also in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Hmm. So we have four accounts in the New Testament of Jesus's institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Interestingly, though, St. John's Gospel doesn't give us that passage. When St. John relates the scene of the, of the Last Supper, 
he writes about the washing of the feet. Hmm. And of course, he already talked about the Eucharist in chapter six in his Bread of Life discourse. That's kind of St. John's teaching about the Eucharist and Jesus's institution of the Eucharist. But, but in his writing about about Holy Thursday evening, about the Last Supper, it's it's the washing of the feet. Hmm. So at the at the Holy Thursday Mass, in the second reading, we have Saint Paul's account of the institution of the Eucharist, and then the Gospel is John's account of the washing of the feet. And to be honest, these two mysteries go together hmm. because. The Eucharist is the sacrament of love, and what Jesus did uh, in washing the feet was was an act of humble, loving service. And I was reading through the Gospel for Holy Thursday, which comes from John chapter thirteen, verses one through fifteen, and there are a couple of things that that stood out to me, and one is the whole idea of washing the feet and how. I, I guess it's it's hard for me to see exactly how what Jesus meant by that. And I mean, yes, it's a it's a humbling act that you stoop down and you wash somebody's feet. But he was saying that anyone uh, like I guess so. There's this interaction with Peter who's saying, "No, don't wash my feet." He's like, "You have to wash your feet. I have to." He's like, "Well, then, if you're gonna have, wash my feet, then do my hands and head as well." And then this is, I guess, the part I was maybe hoping you could clarify a little bit. He says, "Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed." For he is clean all over, so you are clean, but not all. And then he talks about he knew that Judas was going to betray him, and that's why not all of them are clean. So is he comparing the dirty feet and the clean body to Judas being the unclean one and the rest of the disciples being the clean part of the body? No, because they were also not clean. I mean, okay, that, Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. and. Hmm. And Jesus said, if you don't, you'll have no part of me. Yeah. If I don't, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're, you will have no part of me. So, I mean, there's so much beautiful, there's so many beautiful meditations on this. And I just am overwhelmed because every year when I meditate on this, I, I, I have kind of like new ideas, new uh. insights from saints and, and theologians. But maybe just getting to the heart of it, I think keeping in mind that it was at the Last Supper that Jesus instituted both the Eucharist and the ordained priesthood, okay? So mm -hmm. it's not a coincidence or some kind of unimportant aside that Jesus knelt before the apostles and washed their dirty feet. This, this is something that has deep meaning. There are details in this that are are really amazing when you think about them. Like it tells, like why did John tell us de these details? Like he said, Jesus took off his outer garments mm. and tied a towel around his waist. Okay, well, when God became man, when he came down from his divine glory, he took off the clothing of his divinity and put on the garb of a slave. So when Jesus came into the world, God descended and became a servant. He became a slave. It was the slaves who would wash feet, okay? So in assuming our human nature, this is what he did. Now, now we come to the climax. 
of his earthly life. John says, when his hour had come. Okay, this is Jesus's hour. So he showed us again the humility of his incarnation. Because this humility in becoming man reached its climax in the humility of the redemption. Matter of fact, this is why he became man. So we have the whole mystery of Jesus expressed here in this scene. So he takes off his garments, puts on these garments of a slave. This is the hour. This is his hour, the hour of the redemption. He who had come down from heaven, who took the form of a slave, knelt before the disciples, knelt before us, and carried out for us the service of a slave. You can think about he he washes our dirty feet so that we can be admitted to God's banquet and be made worthy to, to sit at his table. So God kneels before us. God washes our feet. He purifies us in his love so that we can come to his table, the table of the Eucharist and the table of the banquet feast of heaven. Now, where does God do this? Well, first of all, God gives himself through his suffering and death. And this comes to us, the fruits of that, when he cleanses us in baptism and when he cleanses us even now with the sacrament of reconciliation. So he is continually on his knees at our feet, purifying us, making us clean, making us capable of receiving God's grace. Why else would he have said to Peter, who was protesting this, you know, he didn't feel like he was worthy that Jesus would wash his feet. Why else would Jesus have said to Peter, unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Okay? See, we are sinners. We need his cleansing. And that's why Jesus tells Peter his washing of his feet was necessary for him to share in Jesus's inheritance, which is eternal life. Right. So our Lord is referring to the necessity of his death. His death brings us our inheritance with him, cleanses us of our sins. And this becomes actual for us through the purifying sacraments of baptism and penance. So getting also to the phrase or the sentence that you mentioned, Kyle, that we should reflect on too, he tells the apostles, you're clean, but not all of you. So Jesus is offering this great gift of purification, but not all are made clean. There's the possibility of rejecting his gift. We can reject his love. And sometimes that's rooted in the sin of pride when we don't even admit that we need to be purified. We can choose to close ourselves to God's saving goodness. Well, Judas is the sad and tragic figure who reminds us every Holy Thursday of this possibility. Hmm. For him, what were important? Power, money, success. He was greedy. He betrayed his master, the Lord of love, for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was obviously referring to Judas when he said, you are clean, but not all of you. Mm -hmm. But I think it also refers to those coming after Judas who refuse his saving love the heart of heart, the proud who put other things before God and his love, the unprodigal, 
sons and daughters who refused to convert and return to the house of the Father. They're unrepentant. Mm -hmm. Those who refuse to let Jesus wash their feet. Those who reject his merciful love. So we need to let the Lord remove the dirt from us with the purifying power of his love. And he does this in the waters of baptism and also in confession, the sacrament of purifying love for us who sin after receiving the purifying grace of baptism. So Jesus then says, I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should also do. So that's another thing we should, we're to wash each other's feet. We're called as Christians to imitate Jesus' life of his love, his service, uh, his humility. This entails forgiving one another and serving one another, loving one another as he has loved us. Um, notice at the Holy Thursday Mass, when the priest washes the feet of 12 people, we call that the mandatum, which means commandment. Hmm. So this instruction to wash one another's feet is another expression of the mandatum, the new commandment that he entrusted to the apostles, which is love one another as I have loved you. Um, so we're called to wash the feet of our brothers and sisters. And now all this is intimately connected with the Eucharist, which nourishes us to love one another as Jesus has loved us. In other words, the Eucharist is a mystery to be lived. And how do we live the Eucharist? By washing one another's feet. All right. Okay, I think that gives us a lot to reflect on as we enter into this Holy Week more deeply and prepare us for tomorrow for Holy Thursday as well. And maybe just encourage people to go through and read that gospel ahead of time to to kind of, I, I, I'm just reading through it. There's several things that popped out at me that, oh, I kind of hadn't thought about that in a while or, or forgot about. So check that out. Again, that comes from the gospel is John chapter 13, verse 1 through 15. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can text the Holy Cross College text line, which is 260-436-9598. And we're going to look at what it means for us to go out and figuratively wash other people's feet, especially those that might be struggling with the church. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and talked about Holy Thursday and this, this great commission of going out to wash other people's feet. And we were just thinking about what this means for us and what are some ways. And yes, you mentioned a whole bunch of them, of, of helping others that are in need and serving and all that. But also when we talk about evangelization, you know, what does it mean for us to to love and and be humble? I think a lot of times we... We might argue and be proud instead of being 
more soft-spoken listening, maybe more than we speak sometimes. And so I thought maybe we could kind of set up some different scenarios that we're probably all familiar with, at least some of these, if not all of these, and get your advice on how we might react to different situations. So the first one would be like a young adult who tends to be more politically liberal. Maybe that's how they identify themselves. Same-sex attracted, maybe. Feels like they don't have a place in the church. What, what would you hope that they understand? Number one, that God loves them and that we love them. Always, that, that needs to be number one. What I would do is try to get to know this young adult as a person. You know, I don't look upon someone, <laughs> I look at, their, at them as, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, as beloved sons and daughters of, of God. I don't look at them primarily according to their sexual attractions. Mm -hmm. I look at their dignity. And so therefore, I would want to have some kind of a relationship as fellow disciples. I would want to know more about them. I don't, wouldn't be that focused on their political leanings. I would just want to get to know them and their, their life, their talents, etc. Talk about the, our, our shared faith. But this young adult with same-sex attraction and doesn't feel like he or she has a, a place in the church, I would want to assure them that yes, they have a place in the church. And as I would develop that relationship and get to know them, I would think that as time went on, we, we would talk about how to live, uh, how, how God is calling them to live as disciples with this cross and to see that their true happiness and their true peace and their true fulfillment will come through through the sacrifice of, of chastity, you know, and share, you know, what is God's plan for sexuality and marriage. But I wouldn't begin there. Notice, I didn't start there. That comes along the way when the time is ripe. We're not going to hide the truth of the gospel and the the uh, challenge that, that uh, living that would be for this young adult. But I think one always begins with relationship, with love, you know, with friendship. Another person might be a young adult who's experiencing maybe greater love and compassion through people who embrace other world religions rather than the Catholic circle and, and maybe feel like Catholics are more condemning or maybe even hateful. How would you respond? I would say that maybe they need a new circle of friends, <laughs> of Catholic friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is always, this can be challenging. And, and not only other religions, uh, world religions, but also sometimes other Christian denominations, sure. you know, where I see Catholics who feel more warmth and welcoming when they go, let's say, to an evangelical church than when they go to a Catholic church. And that calls us, that really is saying to us, we got to be better. We got to really 
be more welcoming. Now, there are obviously a lot of Catholics who are, and it's very beautiful, because I've also seen the opposite happen, where someone doesn't feel that love and acceptance and welcoming in their religion, and they become Catholic because mm-hmm. they see it in us. So it can go both ways. But I would want to make it clear to this young adult that our faith is is in the Lord, and sometimes those of us who bear the name Christian aren't always living the way we should, Mm -hmm. and that deciding on a church, a religion, to try to look at it on what our faith is, what is is God calling us uh, to be, and that even if the Catholics that this young adult knows aren't bearing good witness or, you know, aren't, aren't as loving and compassionate, to try to realize that the church is more than some people, uh, more than the weaknesses and sins of clergy or of laity, and to try to bring them to maybe get a little bit beyond the emotions and to think about uh, Christ who established the church and that to focus more on, on Jesus and the truths of our faith. And then I'd also encourage them and say, listen, you can help us to be more loving and compassionate by your living your Catholic faith with integrity. Well, another person, say a Catholic who was wounded by a representative of the church in some way, what would you say? You know, I mean, that's kind of related to what we've been talking about. Although I think if it's a representative of, of the church, it's probably a, a priest or a bishop or a deacon or maybe a lay leader, someone representing the church. I think the first thing I would do is as what to wash their feet is to say, I am really sorry. Mm-hmm. I would apologize to them for the treatment that they've received. I think about how many times I have done that with victim survivors of sexual abuse by clergy. And that can have a healing effect on those who've been deeply wounded by that abuse. But even in other experiences of being wounded, we have to acknowledge the wound. And then to counteract it by showing and mediating the healing grace of the Lord by being compassionate and listening to the person because that can have a healing effect too that they talk about how they were wounded and then try to soothe the wound. It's kind of like the Good Samaritan, right? Beaten up at the side of the road and um, that meant he had to change his schedule. He had to give time to the, uh, the person who was wounded and attend to their wounds and then bring them to the house of the innkeeper, you know? And in a sense, this is a call for us to be good Samaritans. Very good. This next one might be something that many of us can relate to, either ourselves or uh, children. Someone who thinks the Mass is boring. Yeah. That takes, I think, a lot of... um, patience on our part because 
someone who feels mass is boring is really going to mass with the idea of being entertained or or of being, you know, somehow yeah, being entertained is the best way I can think of it. And whereas the whole spirit of the mass is that is that we're going to worship. You know, we're going to praise and adore God. So I would try to help the person to kind of shift gears on how they approach mass. That they're not going to with the intention of, oh, I'm going to hear a great homily or the music's going to be uplifting. And, you know, hopefully that happens. Hopefully they'll hear a good homily and Mm -hmm. hopefully the music will will be good and uplifting. But that's not why we go. So I think if there's a change in attitude prior to going to Mass, you know, the intent is to go and worship God and to listen to his word, and to receive Jesus's body and blood in the Eucharist. That should be our focus. And when that is the focus, we won't be bored. Mm. But a person needs to be guided, especially children need to be guided. I mean, they're used to being entertained. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, they're, they're used to going to have fun, you know, or for personal enjoyment. I mean, that's just how we're wired, I think, especially children. So you have to kind of help them to shift the attitude. And I know when I was a kid, you know, there was so much focus on that aspect of we're going to worship, we're going to adore God. And therefore, I don't remember thinking of Mass as boring because we were kind of educated to what we're going to do in the sense of we're going to worship God and he's going to bless us. You know, he's going to bless us with his grace. So hopefully that's helpful. All right. And then how would you respond or maybe how should we reach out to someone who thinks the church is doing too much or too little in a specific area? Well, first of all, I have, uh, you know, I hear this, this thing where people think that and, I think we need patience with a person who feels that way. I mean, maybe what they're saying is true if they're mm-hmm. talking about their particular parish. I mean, you could have a parish who's doing all this pro-life work, which is wonderful, but then isn't doing you know, anything to help the needy or poor, and the, et cetera. Or you can have the opposite, mm-hmm. where you have a parish where they're doing everything in the area of social justice, but they they don't even do anything about trying to... Uh, protect the life of the unborn and don't even mention it. So we have these kinds of tensions. And I'm I'm using that as there's many, many other examples I can give. So I think we should say that we could affirm the person if that's true. Maybe they are at a parish that's neglecting something. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just that person that it might be their issue rather than the parishes. So I would want to just listen to the person and learn more about what they mean by that and see if there's some validity in what they're saying. And I'd affirm them. And if if there really isn't validity in what they're saying, then I would try to gently, you know, correct them. Uh, and then I would encourage them if they think the church is doing too little in something t- that they take up the the, right. the, the work and that they 
they try to help the church, help the parish to do more in an area that they feel is neglected. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a gap, maybe we're supposed to fill that. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, just kind of want to challenge listeners to share this episode with people like me that need a reminder to be more loving and share Christ's love with others, uh, or people that, those that might need that love, might be longing for that and need a reminder that we are all welcome in the church. So share this episode with a friend. Hope everybody has a blessed Holy Week and a happy Easter. We'll be back next week with an Easter episode. If you have a question, you can shoot us a text using the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Yes, I'd be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Happy Easter to you and to all our listeners. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer on a future episode, you can submit it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, which is also where you can find the entire archive of episodes. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.